Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded at the Center for Missouri Studies in Columbia and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Established in 1987 and celebrating its 35th anniversary in 2022, the National Women in Media Collection documents the roles women have played in media fields as employees and leaders, as well as the subjects of news coverage, how those roles have altered over time, and how attitudes of and towards women have changed. The collection includes records of women's organizations and professional and personal papers of women journalists, editors, book authors, newspaper and magazine publishers, media company CEOs, journalism and mass communication educators, press secretaries, and public relations personnel, as well as radio, television, film producers, and personalities. To celebrate this important anniversary and to coincide with the opening of the new National Women in Media exhibit in the Winokur Family Corridor Gallery at the Center for Missouri Studies, the Our Missouri podcast dedicates its summer series to the women featured within the collection and exhibit, as well as the journalists, scholars, archivists, and librarians who have pioneered and preserved its materials. The next step for the National Women in Media Collection are to bring together manuscripts, videos, audio, and personal papers centering on the period 1964 to today. The enormous changes for women across the world in that 60-year period prompts archivists, librarians, historians, and scholars to bring many new stories and subjects into the collection from diverse media industries, institutions, and innovators, as well as underrepresented groups of people. This episode features excerpts from an oral history conversation between Marjorie Paxson and Jean Gaddy Wilson, recorded in 2007 for the National Women in Media Collection's 20th anniversary. If you've listened to the entirety of the National Women in Media series, you have probably already heard Jean Gaddy Wilson's story from episode one. If not, please check it out. Marge Paxson, originally from Texas, graduated from the University of Missouri School of Journalism in 1944 and quickly launched a journalistic career that spanned 60 years. She was also instrumental in starting the National Women in Media Collection. So, let's turn it over to Jean Gaddy Wilson and Marge Paxson as they discuss Paxson's career in media, her role in the establishment of the National Women in Media Collection, and our views on the state of journalism, particularly for women, at the turn of the 21st century. There was a meeting on women in media that the Gannett Foundation had, and that's the first time I laid eyes on you. And you were terrific, and I remember that from the, I remember that from, my gosh, how many years ago? Yeah, but those days are gone. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've been retired for more than 20 years, you know, and I'm totally out of the loop. Uh, here's a question. When did you quit uh, writing uh, editorials? When I broke my right arm. And when was that? That was four years ago. Okay. Talk about how the collection came about. Well, it came about because I wanted a tax break. And I had known all along that I wanted to give something back to the university because I got a very good education from the university from the day school, and uh, I came across the idea of the trust, which would give me income in my retirement and also provide income for the university. And then Dean Wilson <clears throat> had the bright idea that we established the National Women in Media Collection. She gets the credit for thinking it up. 
I made a donation of Gannett stock, and that was it. It's gone from there. I think you underplay your thinking about how much we thought about that together and what it could be. You chose the name. Well, I didn't want my own name on it. I don't think my name matters. It's what the collection is and needed to be described that way. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I've always been a history buff. Mm-hmm. seemed to me that the era that I worked through and lived through uh, with the women's movement uh, was something that needed to be preserved uh, as much as we could. And the women who covered it were telling their own stories, and uh, it just all sort of fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, as you look over your career as reporter, um, publisher, editorial writer, being involved in large and small communities, what do you come away with understanding the role of journalism having been? My gosh, girl. <laughs> well, I think journalism has to uh, report what happens. So much of what we see, particularly nowadays, is all first person and glitz instead of getting down to the meat of the problem and, and uh, the heart of what's going on. What was going on in the 60s and 70s is certainly worth remembering. If we don't remember it, if we don't preserve it, we'll never remember it. Mm-hmm. Same thing could be said of our current time, too. That's true. What difference do you think it has meant that there are women in journalism in, in all media at more levels, higher levels, than when you started? We've certainly made a lot of progress. I'm not sure that the coverage has changed that much, although bit by bit I think we've come around to uh, getting away from a lot of the uh, simply crime news and uh, getting to the part of the people stories mm-hmm. because that's, uh, that's where the real information is. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, what did you write your editorials on for those 17 years, Marge? Whatever struck me. I tried very hard to stay away from the subjects that all of the uh, other columnists were writing about and the editorials. I tried to write something different, and uh, it began to get harder and harder. But I still, I covered local news, national, whatever. I had free reign to write about whatever I wanted to, and I did. But when I broke my arm, I couldn't use the computer, and that took care of that. It was my right arm, and so. Yeah. So if I am, if I'm looking at this right, uh, you wrote columns until 2003. So when did you start those columns? Well, I retired in August of '86 um, and started writing them that December. Okay. From 1986 to 2003, you wrote editorials, weekly editorials. A weekly it was a column. It's not necessarily an editorial. Okay. Okay. It was on the editorial page. And what was the column's name? Nobody asked me, but. <laughs> That's great. I could cover anything I wanted. That's right. Uh, Marge, when did you start your career? What year? When I was graduated from um, day school, the University of Missouri. A couple of days after D-Day is when we graduated. 
And where did you go to work first? In, uh, well, first I went to work for United Press in Omaha, Nebraska. I was there for two months and then got transferred to Lincoln, to the State Capitol Bureau, and I was there for two years. Mm -hmm. And then where? Well, then the war was over, and uh, United Press got rid of all the women that it had hired, me being included. And AP had an opening in Omaha, and they offered me a job, so I went to work for the AP. I might have added a larger salary because the uh, both uh, wire services were guild had guild contracts, and the guild contract had changed, and the race had gone through. So I got a raise when I changed job. And how long were you were you with the AP? And then where did you go? Well, then I went back to Houston uh, to work for the Houston Post, the society editor. I was on the the early shift with the AP, which is 4 a.m. in the morning to 1 p.m. That got a little tiresome. There didn't seem to be much chance of a promotion anywhere, so that's when I looked around and landed a job on the Houston Post. And how long, what year did you go to the Houston Post? 48. And how long were you at the Houston Post? Four years. And where did you go then? Well, then I went to the Houston Chronicle. Mm-hmm. And was with them for four years. And <laughs> back in those days, the unmarried daughter had to live at home. And none of this business of getting your own apartment. My father was adamant about it. And I knew the only way I would ever be standing on my own two feet was to get out of town. <laughs> and so I had to go and add an editor and publisher for a copy reader on the Miami Herald in their women's section, and I applied and got it. And that, of course, was a very lucky break because... Uh, the uh, Miami Herald women's section at that time uh, was the leading section in the country. It set the standard. Everybody was trying to copy the Miami Herald. And who was the editor? That was Dorothy Journey. And Dorothy's materials are in your collection. Mm-hmm. And Dorothy actually um, brought new directions for news to the School of Journalism at the University of Missouri. Mm-hmm. She was a tremendous person. Mm-hmm. That's great. How long did you and Dorothy work together? I think it was two and a half, something like that, because she left and went to the Detroit Free Press, which was another night uh, paper. Right. And uh, that's when Marie Anderson then became uh, women's editor at the, at the Herald, and I was assistant women's editor. And what year were, were you there? Well, I'm looking at maybe the mid-60s. Well, it was in the 60s, yeah, because I was there for 12 years. And what is, what is remarkable, as you tell your story, is that none of this, uh, um, that you were in the women's sections. What opportunities were there for you in the rest of the paper or for women at that time? Well, there weren't very many. Mm -hmm. There were a few women reporters, but most of the women 
On the news side? On the news side, yes. I think that's interesting. They didn't think about putting a woman more on the news side. They thought about bringing a man into the women's section. Uh-huh. But you see, the women were wanting equality. Well, if you want equality, it works both ways, you know. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes, that's... Anyway, we got a man. Yeah, and I won't ask how he did. He did very well. Well, that's good. It was delightful. Good. And then, um, so when did you leave the uh, Miami Herald? I went to the St. Petersburg Times. It was 68, 69, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. It was at the Times for two years. And what did you do there? I was women's editor there. Okay. Then they decided that we were going to go all the way and we weren't going to have any women's section anymore because that was... Uh, Verboten nowadays, we had to be uh, genderless, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they revised their women's section and made it what they called the day section. Mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, that was the name of the section. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had a man in charge of that. And uh, I left there and went with the Philadelphia Bulletin. And the change in... St. Petersburg was made over Labor Day. Yes. Three years to the day, the Philadelphia Bulletin decided it wanted to do away with its women's section and transferred me back to the magazine, uh, Sunday Magazine office as one of the editors back there, the man in charge, and uh, just called it the, what did they call it? You see, I'm, <laughs> I'm forgetting things. Well, at any rate, three years to the day, the same thing happened to me again. So you were taken out of the editorship uh-huh. and placed as a writer? Or no, as an editor. As an editor into the magazine. Yes. And was the magazine, was that seen as a move up or a move sideways? Oh, no. My gracious, no, it wasn't a move up. They didn't know what else to do with me. They stuck me back there and they... The editor didn't really want me and never gave me any assignments. He had a part-timer that he relied on to be his assistant editor. No, that was an insult. And how many people had you been over uh, when you had been head of the women's section? Oh, I think it was 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. So you obviously left the Philadelphia Bulletin, and where did you go then? Well, for three months I worked in Washington as uh, one of the writer-editors on the, uh, the National Women, the Women's Report that Jill, Rick- Jill Ruckel's house edited. Yes. You see, my memory's failing, dear. <laughs> yeah, well... At any rate, I was there for three months 
And I contacted Al Newhart because I had known Al Newhart with Gannett. I had known him in Miami. He was city editor when I went to work for the Miami Herald in the women's section. Mm-hmm. He told me to come see him, and so I went and ended up going to work for Gannett as assistant managing editor uh, at the Boise, Idaho Statesman. And that was in 1976. Where did you meet with Al? In uh, uh, Rochester. In Rochester. Yeah. He was head of Gannett at that point. Uh huh. President of the Gannett. He wasn't the. He hadn't started USA Today yet. Right. At any rate, I was in uh, Boise for about a year and a half, and then they made me publisher of the Chambersburg. Pennsylvania Public Opinion, uh-huh. and I was there for two years, and then they transferred me out here to Muskogee as editor, as president and publisher of the Muskogee Phoenix. And what year was that? That was 1980. That date I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and you must like it. You're still there. Well, I have never agreed with this idea that when you retire you have to move to Florida mm-hmm. or move someplace else. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the silliest thing in the world because mm-hmm. here I had been publisher in Muskogee for six years. I had a lot of friends here mm-hmm. at a house that I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to move someplace else I would absolutely start over with no friends, no background, no, no uh, community ties, nothing. And I didn't like that. So I stayed put. How were you greeted in Muskogee as um, the new, uh, was it president and publisher? Yes. How were you greeted when you got there? Well, they were friendly but skeptical. And why were they skeptical? Well, just the women. We hadn't had women. Mm -hmm. The paper, the previous publisher was opposed to the Equal Rights Amendment. They fought a tooth and toenail in Oklahoma and helped defeat it in the state legislature. And uh, I had to prove that I was in charge, let me put it that way. And one of the <laughs> better things in my life that I ever did was find out that the, that the previous publisher had a rule that women could not wear pants. They oh. had to wear dresses. Oh, my. It didn't make any difference what woman it was, even, well, I had a woman photographer, for instance, but if she was going out to cover uh, an accident, she couldn't wear a pants. She had to have a skirt on. Mm -hmm. And I had come to Muskogee all prepared to be the lady publisher from, you know, back east. Uh And, but I had one pantsuit with me, and that was going to be for running around town in casual wear. Uh Uh-huh. But at least it was a pantsuit, and it was a pretty good-looking one. Mm-hmm. So the second day that I got there on Monday, October the 5th or 6th, something like that, and Tuesday I walked into the office in my black pantsuit, <laughs> and every head turned. <clears throat> and by noon, my secretary was in asking, people were asking her, has the dress code changed? Mm-hmm. 
And I said, yes, it had. That women could wear pants. All I asked is that they be dressed appropriately for their job and be neat and clean. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wednesday I walked in and looked around, and you never saw so many pantsuits. <laughs> and some of the women had even gone out Tuesday night and bought a new pantsuit yeah. to wear to the office the next day. So that was simply a gesture that I was in charge. That kind of convinced people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Oh. Um, Marge, um, of all the things you've done in your career, as you look back a minute, what are you most proud of? Well, I would say two things. Number one was being the editor of the newspaper in Mexico City for the World Con United Nations World Conference on Women. Uh, that's certainly the hardest job I ever had for two weeks. Uh, getting out a, a daily bilingual paper. And the other one would be leading Theta Sigma Phi from being kind of a social organization into a professional one. That took a number of years. That's amazing. Theta Sigma Phi's changed its name. Yeah, that was in the seventies. Mm -hmm. When were you? When did you lead Theta Sigma Phi? I was president from sixty-three to sixty-seven. So they changed their name after I mm -hmm. uh, left the presidency. Mm -hmm. And. When you were editor of the United Nations, what did you call that? What was the name of the paper? Chiloman, <laughs> which is the name of the Aztec goddess of the tender corn. When you're reading the news these days and seeing things that are going on, um, what do you think? Um, well, I don't even know how to pose this question. What do you see as threats and opportunities for women in today's world? Just from where you sit, doesn't have to be about newspapers, just as you've kind of thought about it, because your career is one where you've really given back to women in media. You've really led in a variety of places that were not your, just your job. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's plenty of opportunities for for women, I think uh, the one danger is that women think they've got it made, and they don't. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's still uh, an awful lot of prejudice. There's all kinds of, of uh, obstacles, including, you know, a woman gets married and wants to have a child and uh, has to give up her job. Well, that proves that she's not interested enough in her job. And so, you know, that attitude. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think uh, we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go. Thank you for listening to the R Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash our dash Missouri. <laughs>